Okay, first of all, fam, if you're a fan of the show and would like to support, consider backing us on Patreon. You can join our Discord community and get different perks by going to patreon.com slash firstofallpodcast. If you'd like to support in other ways, you can go check out firstofallpod.com or subscribe and leave a five-star rating on your favorite platform or just follow me on Instagram because I love hearing from you. Thank you all so much for the support and enjoy the show. You're listening to Hey guys, welcome back to First of All, a real unfiltered conversation on career, family, relationships, and culture. I'm your host, Mindy Chang. I'm an actor, producer, and filmmaker here to share inspiring stories and to walk through everyday life with you. How are you guys doing? Hope you're doing well, staying safe and healthy. Hope you got your free kits for your free test if you're in the States. I just ordered mine. And we're out here doing the most, doing the best we can in season three of the pandemic. Welcome to episode three of season two, first of all, also known as episode 163, talking about evolving beauty standards with our amazing special guest, David Yi. David has been inspiring me for the better part of eight years now since I met him at Collaboration New York, where he was co-hosting the show in 2014 with Ellie Lee. Aquafina was guest performing that night. That's the night I met her for the first time and got to experience her performing NY City Bitches and My Vag. And it was just a fabulous night. So many good vibes. And since then, I've watched David evolve so much from being a journalist who's worked for publications like Wall Street Journal, GQ, and Vogue, doing amazing fashion verticals for Mashable, and becoming an entrepreneur, a skincare line creator, and a best-selling author. And it's just fabulous. His publication is Very Good Light. His skincare line is Good Light, already winning awards and stuff. Um, And his book, Pretty Boys, is a really key point of this conversation today as we talk about evolving beauty standards that is not just for specific genders, for all of us. The book itself, Pretty Boys, is about male uh, male beauty standards, and that alone was very eye-opening for me and very fun to learn about and also very liberating and healing. Um, I've personally dealt with a lot of different self-image issues, a lot of insecurities, a lot of scars from different voices, outside voices and voices within myself that came from, you know, different kinds of marketing, cultural expectations, et cetera, even family members. And there's a lot to unpack and a lot to heal. And this book and this conversation with David honestly helped me do a lot of that. And I hope that a lot of you take away something really positive, no matter what your gender, your identity, your racial background, your culture, your geographic location. Beauty is something that's deeply personal to us and that can be really, really beautiful and empowering and uplifting and also really painful in a lot of different ways, depending on what you've been through. So David is just a wonderful beacon of light. He walks his talk. I think all of his many accolades, being a pioneer for the LGBTQ plus community, for being such an activist for the diversity, equity, and inclusion conversation is all because he truly deeply cares about the work that he is doing. It comes from a very personal place for him. And that's why I'm so excited for us to get to know him, his work, and let that give us something to integrate into ourselves as we work on loving ourselves and celebrating who we are. And also taking a step back and realizing that these beauty standards, these trends, and all these rules, quote unquote, are at the end of the day, really silly, and they are not permanent, and we can redefine them and redefine 
things for ourselves as we choose to. That's something that I hope you all take away from that because that's what I did when I talked with David. So please have a fabulous time getting to know our special guest, David Yee, in this episode, Evolving Beauty Standards. Enjoy. Came in 88 with a dream of so bright eyes. They knew right away, sink or swim, there's no lifelines. Cutting the teeth on the move. Nobody's feeling these Welcome to First of All, David. Thanks for having me. Oh my gosh. Thank you for being here. I know you're a very, very, very busy person because you're just slaying all day and making <laughs> making waves. I love it. So thank smoke you. Smoking mirrors. Really Smoking mirrors. Oh. But of course, all the time for my Slasians and especially to my Koreans, always. <laughs> always. I love how much, how hard you represent, David. And we can dive into that during mm-hmm. our chat because there's a lot of feelings around all of that, right? Like owning who you are, your mm-hmm. like multiple identities, all of that. And you have, I just want to gas you up right out the gate because you have been someone who I have seen through many years, because we met back in like freaking like, tw- <laughs> like what twenty thirteen? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's been a long time, and you've always just shown out to me as somebody who, like, as an evolving human like the rest of us. But at each step, you really own who you are, and oh. I just really appreciate that. Thank you. It Same is- to you too. You've always just been authentic <sighs> in yourself, and just pro Koreans and K- Korean Americans, and and showing up for us and glowing up for us too. So thank you. <laughs> It's a layered process, but thank you. I appreciate it. I love the love. Um, David, I, I already, you know, introduced you and, and we got a little glimpse of your your background, but I love to hear straight from like my friends. Like we have been in each other's orbit and I've been at events with you and I definitely know about you and I've seen a lot of coverage on you. But how do you share when you like tell people who you are and where you come from? How does that what is that story that you share with others? I like, guess I these days I just introduce myself as a storyteller because I think at the heart of who I am, and even though I'm doing all these different ventures that might seem different, mm-hmm. I think the core of who I am is a storyteller. And so that's what I say. But, you know, I am a founder of Good Light, a gender-inclusive beauty brand. I am an author of Pretty Boys, The History of Men, Mask Identifying Folks and Their Relationship to Beauty from History to Now that just came out, you know, in June. Um, you know, I, I, I'm a journalist. I'm a writer. Uh, a producer. And I'm just trying to do all the things that I'm passionate about. And just like you, you know, trying to see uh, where this goes and just doing our best to show up. Yeah. Well, I need to applaud because (laughs) all those things that you mentioned, I mean, we're, we're really fortunate to be around a lot of creatives, but when you get into the daily, like understanding there's, it's, it's, it's exciting it's amazing, but it's also really overwhelming because there's no mm. map or guide yeah. for that, right? And I yeah. think our our industry is not to over glamorize it, but it is changing all the time, and that can be super stressful. And you're kind of like really having to pivot a lot and just be creative, for lack of a better word. Yeah, for like, sure. For you sure. Just have to go. Yeah. How early? I'm curious. Like, when did you know that you wanted? Did you have an inkling that you wanted to? be a creative professional? Was there like an alternate universe where you were like an accountant or something? (laughs) Hell no. No, no, no. (laughs) I knew from a young age growing up in, you know, Colorado Springs, Colorado, Mm -hmm. uh, predominantly non-Asian space, uh, that I was different. I mean, even though you want to fit in, you are the lone child with golden skin tones, you know, yes. maybe almond eyes, jet black hair. Of course, you're going to stand out. I didn't have anyone who looked like me. Mm-hmm. Um, and just 
that explaining, like where I'm from and people didn't know where Korea was. I'd say it's between China and Japan. That's how they would know. They would guess Hawaiian before they'd guess Korean. And so it was just this otherizing and this, uh, you know, putting folks trying to put me in my place where wherever they thought that was, um, which wasn't the American kind of culture or American, uh, this American world that they're used to. They put me in a box. And because of that, I've always felt this burning anger within me. And mm-hmm. I wanted to show and prove to them that not only was I worthy, but I belonged, that I was as American as they were, and that my people were beautifully made and powerfully made. And that was my through line since childhood. I was like, how am I going to represent my people? Oh, it's through the media. That's where they're finding their information. That's why they think that I'm not American because they've never seen someone like me. Mm -hmm. And the power of media was always something that I knew could transform my life and the lives of us. And that's where I I felt I belonged and I needed to be. And so from a young age, I was like, I'm going to get there. I want to, you know, be a journalist. I want to be a storyteller. Whatever that means, that's what I'm going to do. That's amazing. I love that you had through the hard stuff and that Han, I love that you're just speaking to that rage because it's it's a very real, it's very potent. You know what I mean? Oh, and I think yes. it has, it's very powerful, mm-hmm. though it can be very overwhelming, but that it provided you some level of further clarity of like who you are, because you're like, why am I at least having that self-awareness? I mean, I don't know how self, but sounds like you had this knowing that this is upsetting, but also this tells me I want to make a difference here. Mm-hmm. And this is how I want to do it, which I think is, I just love that. Yeah. I mean, I think that I had to uh, be self-aware at such a young age out of survival mode, right? Mm-hmm. I think that with most Asian Americans, when you grow up in a non-Asian American space, you either deviate towards one of two paths. One is you want to slough away everything from your immigrant parents. You want to distance yourself from that culture. You want to yeah. not eat those foods. You don't want to speak the language. You just want to fit in and you want to be that boy next door, just like everyone else. Mm-hmm. Or you understand that you're different. You're never going to belong. You're never going to be accepted. And so you do the internal work and you're like, I am this, this is who I am. And I'm fierce in that. And I'm just going to delve my entire being in that. And that was me. I was like, I'm Korean. Okay. These people aren't going to accept me. So I'm going to look at my history, understand where I come from, only speak my language, only listen to my music and my dramas. And so I grew up with K-pop. I grew up with K-dramas before you know, it was super popular. And that's how I survived my childhood. Wow. That's why it's funny because I think your and my childhoods are very contrasting because I feel like I did have a lot of that, that fierce kind of identity, like protectiveness and that Mm. pride. And it's interesting because I grew up in Cupertino, California, which is very Asian American. It's like the heart of Silicon Valley. Right. Uh And uh so I did have a lot of Asian Americans around me, but for some reason I still felt that level of defensiveness of who I was and this mm. kind of curiosity. And I was a huge, you know, I was a huge K-pop and uh, K-drama head as like a 10-year-old. <laughs> oh my gosh, who did you listen to at 10? I was listening, I, I even younger, I was into Soteji, um, oh, okay. who's like the OG. They they paved <laughs> yes. a lot for K-pop. Yep. And um, I was a huge H.O.T. fan. 
Gotcha, like, gotcha. Thousand percent HOT. Uh, my sister was a Texas fan. I um, was an SES. I know it's like SES versus like uh, pink card, but I was SES. But I grew up with like, you know, these bands like UP or Uptown yep. or, Uptown. you know, I mean, yeah, very uh, throwback, throwback. Turbo. Oh, yes, 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 yes. And then um, just my childhood was was painted with all of these amazing, you know, bands that you you know, like R.E.F. and, yes. and Lula and Cool. and Solid. Yeah, solid, of course, Kim Johan. I mean, these oh. are my, like, that's my go-to childhood. That was my childhood. I remember when I felt alone and just, like, sad for myself. I'd go to the basement and we had, like, a dorebang system. And I just, like, oh, I put it. on all these songs, like, solid, you know? Yes. And I'd be like, this is my world. I feel like I belong. And it was just so, I mean, it was something that allowed me to survive the cruelties of childhood. Oh, well, I'm really, I'm like, it's many feelings, but I'm sad. And I know that so many young people feel that in so many different ways, but being othered and and feeling Mm. that isolation, it is so hard. And honest, as a young person, like you don't have the faculties yet. You're learning through that hardship to like become wiser and stronger and resilient, but it's something really, really hard. And I'm just also grateful that you had something to kind of anchor to and give yourself space to like own your identity because yeah, I think that the totally. media like you're saying is so powerful it it is really important to feel seen and understood in any aspect because mm-hmm. that invisibility can really do a number on you just like not feeling like you're part of the landscape you know like do yes. am I do I exist am exactly. I exactly if you're invisible you're a ghost do you not have a heartbeat do you not have blood rushing through mm-hmm. your veins are you alive and that's right. what I always say. I'm like, am I even alive if I'm not seen? If no one sees who you really are? I mean, the only way that I felt alive was through Korean pop music or Korean dramas or Korean pop culture. But I never saw my story, you know, of my immigrant family, of our Americanness and our version mm-hmm. of Americana on screen or in TV right. or music. And still it's hard to find, um, you know, to, to in, in 2021 going into 2022. Right. But... I think that's why it's so powerful when we do see, you know, people like you, uh, you know, on TV or, or screenwriting or behind the scenes or a voiceover, because it's like, oh my gosh, like we do exist. And it's something that I'll never get over. I still feel super excited when I see someone who looks like me on TV. I'm me too. And that like, that used to actually be a point of resentment of like, I don't want to be this excited because I feel like we belong to be part of it. But like, also I'm working, this is my work as a grown ass woman, right? Like, (laughs) let's just own, let's like, and you've mentioned this in previous interviews that I really enjoyed, but like just owning, Hey, like, there's a choice that we have available to us to choose to say, this is what I choose to focus on, which is the growth of us being more visible and being more part of it. I have a certain level of resentment that I've worked through personally, mm-hmm. David, like mm-hmm. a lot. And I have the Han, but I'm, I'm doing my best to opt to like, say, cool. Like that happened. I know it, it's painful. Mm-hmm. And there's like dope ass people like you, like so many of our friends that are out there doing it. Let's focus and put our energy yes. there at the end of the day. And I just love that we're, we're talking so much about the influence of pop culture and our surroundings. Like, giving us a lot of both, I think, comfort and also a lot of strife because this whole feeling of when we're here to talk about beauty and it's 
it's this layered topic and it used to just be, it's not just about like, oh, makeup and all this stuff, which I love. I, I really want to know like how you got into makeup because I, I love it. Uh-huh. Um, but like the images and the things that have outward, the outside in influence of like, am I attractive? Am I desirable? Am I pretty? Like there's so many ways to approach beauty, but like these cultural aspects that we're talking about, I think at least for me, and would love to know your thoughts, like it really did a number on like, how I existed. Mm. Um, and I think that's a very human thing. I just don't think it's as petty as sometimes we try to make it be, but I just, I, I never looked at myself as like being one of the pretty ones mm-hmm. or being not even pretty is like one adjective, but it's like being desirable or being appreciated. You know what I mean? Mm. And I always like wanted to be the girls from, you know, Saved by the Bell or Night of 210, again, like girls that are not Asian, like mostly white girls, mm-hmm. that they set the standard of what beautiful meant, right? right? And what is aspirational. And so why I think having the conversation about something as layered and complicated as beauty is really important because of its influence on our lives. Right. And I think that it has a lot to do with just who you think you are, who you who you want to be. Mm-hmm. And and I think that beauty is something that's layered in, in our culture in America, because who sets the standard? And who's to say that, you know, I am not the standard? Who's to say mm-hmm. that you're not the standard? And, and, and I really, truly believe, I mean, at the core of what it is, it, it goes back to white supremacy, right? It's yeah. white supremacy seeps into every crack and poor in our culture that tells us that no, you aren't worthy, or you have to take the backseat. I mean, as Asian non women and Asian males, you know, masculine folks, like, I think that we have to go through this idea of being shamed of who we are. We are emasculated. And that was yeah. deliberate, right? From Yellow Peril, where, you know, white folks were like, oh my gosh, these Asian people are coming and taking over our white women. What are we going to do about it? Oh, we're going to make them emasculated. We're going to make them into villains. And the yeah. opposite for Asian women, as we know, hypersexualized. But when it comes to, you know, our identities, it's, you know, that propaganda was so nefarious and so deep that in 2021 going into 2022 we still feel those notions that we are less than we're not beautiful and it's not just this you know outer kind of superficial um you know uh thing it has repercussions on the psychology uh and of of men of our people generationally that perhaps we're not desirable. Perhaps we do need to take, uh, you know, the back seat. We have to shut up. We have to sit down. Maybe this mm-hmm. is all we get. And then in a lot of ways, it promotes hyper-masculinity within yes. Asian American men too, because they're like, now I need to work out harder because I want to be desirable. I have to be even more macho because we feminized Asian American men in this country. And so it has many different roots of repercussions that that emasculation of Asian men. And I felt that too, right? I've never felt beautiful, but I've never wanted to feel beautiful. I wanted to be undeniable. That's Mm. my thing. I do not want anyone to question my worth or question how powerful I can be or my agency because I am what I'm undeniable. And that took so many years of unlearning, of sloughing the skin of what this country told me I should and and, and shouldn't be. Mm-hmm. And now like in my thirties, I'm finally like, um, I've awoken to my own greatness and I'm undeniable. 
I love it. I'm like, uh, I'm screaming. I'm not, but I am in the inside. I love this. Dave, you're speaking like fire and light into my soul because these, really? we need, I, I genuinely like, I think there's such a necessity for, in sometimes stating the obvious that we are mm. all beautiful, but we need reminders. Do you know what yes. I mean? Because it's so true. it can be a lot of work when, and these, okay, we're talking about big topics here. Okay. So like, it's just, but like, we'll roll with this, but mm-hmm. you, we're talking about like, people don't benefit off like a lot of, and this is a former version, the historical version of like capitalism. They don't benefit, they don't sell products per se in the past paradigm. If we feel good about our, you know what I'm saying? We don't, if we're feeling like hot and sexy as we are, then we have no need to buy XYZ product to fix perfection. Like these are very widely philosophical topics. I'm talking with like a lot of different creatives off, like, because we're like, who do we put in front of camera? Who's the main character? What do we, how do we dress right. and, and light them? How yep. do we, my friends who are photographers, you know, like they, they work with angles. They work with lighting. They work with photo correction. They photo, a lot of people do editing work, right? And it's to like fix your face. And I was like, fix what though? You know what I'm saying? And it goes back to that bigger question that you said, which I love. Cause it's like the essence of, first of all, it's like, says who, who, who said that that's, ugly, quote unquote, who says that that's an unacceptable way to exist in this world? And if you do exist that way, ain't nobody going to want you or whatever, you know, whatever that threat is that you feel if you don't subscribe that I think I'm just in, I'm here for it to question all of it because it is, it is like, I think we are all undeniable. And I love yes. that you were just like screaming it from the rooftop, David, <laughs> however I can mean, amplify took, you. I mean, it took a lot of time, right? Because I was in the fashion industry before I was in beauty. And in fashion, in the 2010s, when I was in New York City as a fashion editor, there was one standard look. Of course, Mm. I was always like, um, Slasians, we're going to put you in the spread. It's going to be about Slasian Americans. I mean, I became a journalist because secretly I just wanted to infiltrate and put Asian Americans <laughs> in every story. And, you know, I'm the first uh, journalist to write about K-pop for a major publication. I put Girls' Generation on the cover of the New York Daily News back when I had to fight for it, right? It yes, was such a different did. time. Now K-pop is huge, but back then my editors were like, they're Korean, they're so foreign, why do we care? And I'm like, what? And they're like, why do you really think that we need to do something about AAPI Heritage Month? Uh, Asians have all has been cool. I grew up with uh, Jackie Chan and Bruce Lee. I thought they were cool. I was like, what? They're not even Asian American, bitch. And so my entire being, being in fashion, being in media, I've always had to advocate for us because I knew that we... I mean, even if we wrote one story every day about Asian Americans, there would still be a lack of stories in the media. Mm-hmm. And this kind of Han that we're talking about came from, you know, high school when I was a school uh, newspaper editor and my, uh, the editor in chief or other editors would fight me and they'd be like, you only write about Asian Americans. And I'm like, well, we have a monthly publication. How many Asian American stories have you written in the history of this publication? Huh? And so I remember this is so deep and dark I remember one day this editor came to me after school and she was like, we can't publish your story about those Korean twins. And I was like, why? It's an immigration story. They so happen to be Korean. And she's like, well, you keep, you, you keep writing about Asian Americans. We don't want to be labeled an Asian loving newspaper. That's what she said. I was like, Excuse an Asian me? loving newspaper. I was like, bench, you messed with the wrong one. That story what? became like the cover story. 
And that's, Mm -hmm. I was like, no, 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 no. You're not going to try to put me in my place. I will always fight truth to power. I will always speak the truth. It'll be uncomfortable, but you will know how undeniable my people are. And so that's where it always came from, right? That understanding that people didn't think that I belonged or people who looked like us belonged. And that's why I got into media. That's why I got into fashion. Because I was like, I'm going to tell people that we're beautiful. I'm going to tell our stories. And people are going to understand that we have always belonged here we've always existed here and this is how beautiful we are and always have been we never need your cosign we never need you to christopher columbus us to discover Uh, us i'm gonna tell you you know just what it is and how life has always been for us and if you're late to the game you're late to the game but don't be late because i'm telling you and you have all the information i love you david (laughs) Ah! thank you for doing that thank you and it's like Honestly, these these rooms, the reality of being in these rooms where you're you're met with that kind of challenge, it is so easy to not say anything. It is so easy. It's just like on a flip of a, you could just be like, okay, you know what I'm saying? Or yeah. you could be like, oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> and it requires a lot for certain people to like, and even and even me, which I've been working on acknowledging more, like where my fear lies. And people assume a lot about me because I sound like this when I'm talking to my friend on a podcast. Mm -hmm. But like in those rooms, it can be terrifying. And you're like, you don't have like an army of people behind you. It's just you and a few other people and usually maybe outnumbered or like power dynamics and all that stuff. You're not ready to be like, let me tell you what's up. That's not usually a couple of ways. Right. And so correct. But I think I was always comfortable in being uncomfortable because I was always the only Asian in the room yeah, like from growing same. up. And I'm like, this is just another day. Like, you're a bully, <laughs> but I've seen you and I've seen you you times 20 from where I'm from in Colorado. And in this woke space of media, of New York City media, uh, fake wokeism and you trying to be uh, inclusive, uh, I'm going to make you shake to your core. I'm going to make you feel so shook that you're going to look foolish for not putting this story on. I remember I was really angry because everyone is just so, I mean, it was a predominant white space at my old job um, at Mashable. Uh, That was Mm -hmm. my last full-time job before I left to start, you know, Very Good Light. Yes. But I remember they would celebrate every other month. This is Pride Month. This is this month, Women's History Month. But when it came to Asian Americans, they never cared. And I was like, uh, 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 wow. excuse me. I remember I had to fight tooth and nail. We had zero budget. They're like, um, this is going to be your passion project. Guess what I did? I had to style, book, get car service, book hair and makeup, uh, interview people, produce a shoot, interview for camera a shoot. This was a shoot about Asian Americans in Hollywood. This was before Crazy Rich Asians. And I got together Ken Jong, Aquafina. I got together, wow. you know, uh, yeah, the, Margaret Cho. Uh, these amazing staple Constance Wu was in this shoot. And also, you know, um, just... The, the greatest of my heroes was, was in the shoot, but I had to style all of them. I was steaming clothes while interviewing Margaret Cho, while making sure Ken Jong got his car. You know, I was doing it all by myself. I have a scar on my hand because I'm um, coming out of LAX with 200 pounds of clothing. Oh my God. My hand burst in blood because like I was just carrying so much trying to get the bus from the airport to my hotel because we had zero budget. And I remember at the end of it, it was the biggest story, right? It went super viral. Um, and I was super proud, but I was also angry 
because mm-hmm. they put it in June. They're like, oh, you know, let's just put it for June. I was like, but it's May and that's our month. This is the reason why I hustled and did all this myself. Yeah. And it's just another idea of how people just brush our stories or uh, just uh, push us to the side and say, you're insignificant. Your, your stories don't really matter. And I was like, no, 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 no. My people matter. They deserve this visibility, but mm-hmm. yet you're still going to push us to another month. And and, 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 you know, that's that to me just says so much when you go into these woke newsrooms where these white folks are like, oh, my gosh, we care about diversity, but they really don't care. They when really it comes don't care. to me, rubber meeting the road, like, no, yeah, there's a lot of actions. I mean, I I love all this tea. I was not expecting to be let in on all these. But like, oh, thank you. I just need to admit, <laughs> no, no. Oops here. I'm like, but thank you for doing that, because that oh, yeah, is John Chu word. was in that shoot, too. John Chu. Love. John Chu, like that's, that's, I'll, I'll tell you my tea on, on John was like, he was a part of, uh, the empower conference that I created out of vapor with, uh, the collaboration folks back in 2015. Again, like when nobody, like when you're talking about budgets, honey, like it was non-existent. Right. Mm -hmm. And I started in 2009 where like, we're talking these big brands and Mm. they, for a, for APAM doesn't like, what's that? You know what I mean? The only thing they cared about at times, at times an inconsistent manner was Lunar New Year because Mm. that's when they can do like a sale and blah, blah, blah. APAM was like, not even a thing. So we're trying to like, (laughs) it isn't right. And so like those things to like convince folks that, Hey, it's worth acknowledging this very integral part of our fabric of our society here in the States, um, to acknowledge their existence. Can you throw us like, and they, you know, like, here's like $500, you know what I'm saying? So like the money Mm. and the action, the behavior, the decisions, um, the care, when John Chu came into our space uh, for our our thing, he was it was b- the year before Crazy Rich Asians, and to watch him, he was just such a humble person because he was like not he didn't know about the API movement that's been happening largely underground, right? Like yep. out of the mainstream light, and he became an advocate and he was vocal to Warner Brothers, and then like he worked with me. So after he spoke at our conference in November, we brought him out to Sundance because I'm a co producer of the Asian Pacific Filmmakers Experience. Love that. Also another org like event that was created out of vapor by people on the ground at Sundance, which is a, it used to be a completely white space. And they're like, we're going to celebrate Asian filmmakers. I don't care if it's only five people. And it was five people at the beginning. Oh my gosh. And then he came out and like, we talked with Warner brothers and that's how I got involved with Warner brothers to help be like on, on their advisory board for crazy yes. occasions because we had to tell them like, yo, there's, there's nuance to this and it's to your benefit to care. And when John spoke at Sundance, people were like crying in that room. And we had oh. like 180 people, David, like starting from five people in the snow at Sundance to like, like oh packing a whole house that I'm Kickstarter so hosted and John's yes. like sharing his story and we're like weeping because we're like realizing, wow, we didn't know that people could care this much or that we matter this much and you just need to like see it. But people need to make all those conversations happen. It's not necessarily yes. like they're going to start it. You know what I'm saying? Like we have to start it and be like, hi, um, let's talk. Let's talk about the fashion. Let's talk about the makeup because I have a big issue with makeup, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. which part is like as an actor – getting my eyes messed up time after time after time by artists who don't know how to do, do eyeliner or do almond eyes. eyes. Yep. And so things like that, you know what I'm saying? Like those are all like these details that make us matter or like communicate that this person matters to like 
think of them <laughs> to like address it's like them. All of these microaggressions and yeah. people, you know what it is? It's the standard has been uh, an Anglo person for such a long time, and it's so oppressive, and it's it's very dark and deep. Mm-hmm. And I think that for for them, and I, I'm I'm talking about Hollywood or powers that be that don't even do the smallest gesture of getting someone who perhaps knows how to do Asian eyes or an Asian face or Asian hair because it's so different. For them to not consider that, that is such a small detail and so easy uh, to just hire someone. Mm -hmm. That to me just shows just how the microaggressions become, you know, uh, compiled into something bigger and snowballed into something bigger and bigger and bigger. Right. And it's not just representation. It's representation in all aspects of, mm-hmm. you know, Hollywood or behind the scenes, the producers, the showrunners, yes, the writers, the makeup artists and the hair. It's not just an insignificant detail that I think people will just roll their eyes on. You know, I think that beauty and fashion and making you feel empowered. Yes. That's why it's so important. That's why I'm in the beauty industry as well. Right. I don't think that it's just this, oh, it's so superficial. You want good skin or you want to look desirable. No, it's all about empowerment at the end of the day. Yes, absolutely. Well said. We're just dropping, you're just dropping truth bomb after. I love this. And it's, and it's true because it, it, like, People can resign that beauty, that conversation of beauty to something very superficial. And yeah. and I just don't think that it is. And I think the older, and I've subscribed to that too. I'll be perfectly honest. Like, I think like I've had issues with my own femininity and my, not even just femininity, but like my own self-care and my own self-worth, mm-hmm. right? It's all kind of mixed in there yes. of how does that influence the way that I show up in the world. And I think the different layers of sadness or pain or anger and resentment and joy and like where are the moments that I felt like empowered versus the moments where I felt very disempowered. Those are very different versions of Minji, you know? What was it about it that allowed me to shine and therefore like show up to let other people shine? Because it's not a one and done thing. You know what I mean? Like if, if you show up in your fullest, like you are shining a light as an inspiration and as an influence to powers that be of like everyone else too. You know what I mean? It's like this interconnectedness that I, I'm really big on. And you so, know, I think that also we, what, what you're saying and, and what we have been saying is you need to uh, become what you don't see sometimes, right? Like maybe yes. you don't see yourself in a space and you're waiting forever, forever and ever and decades and decades. And then you're like, wait a second, it's not going to come. I guess I have to be what I don't see. Mm -hmm. And that's what you're doing. That's what so many of us are trailblazing. And, you know, I never saw a beauty founder who looked like me. I never saw an Asian American, you know, non-female, you know, as a CEO or founder. And I think that that in itself is, uh, is just so bold And so I was waiting so long for that to happen. I was like, you know, maybe I just have to go into those shoes. I've never started a beauty brand, but I've always believed that beauty was transformative. I grew up watching my dad and my mom, you know, subscribe Mm -hmm. to K-Beauty. And I was always curious to know why my dad cared so much, uh, you know, about um, how other people perceived him. But I think that in a lot of ways, aside from, yes, respectability politics or, yes, uh, you know, how he presented himself in the world that was very Eastern and Confucianist, I think that it had to do with self-preservation. You know, in this cruel world of white supremacy that, you know, where people don't, you know, fully 
embrace immigrants. You know, that was his way of surviving this cruel world, the five minutes of pampering or or prepping before the day and five mm-hmm. minutes to himself before he concluded the day. Mm-hmm. I think that for him, at least, it was a way to survive in America. It was just looking at your face, hugging your face and practicing that self-love. I didn't know this until much later. And then I was like, whoa, you know, beauty is not just something that you put on, on on your face or it's not just potions or elixirs that you slather on your pores. Yeah. It's transformative. It's self-preservation. For people who are immigrants, it's a way of survival. For people who are like me, who don't fit you know, the beauty standards, it's a way to reclaim that. And I think that beauty to me is just so much deeper than your aesthetics. It's yes. how, you, how you preserve your essence for the world. Yeah. I love, ah, David, that's so beautifully said. And I love that we went real deep, real quick. I love this. This is like, it's the things that influence and motivate us. And right after this really quick break, I want to come back and talk more about the work that you're doing and like what you've learned. Cause I know that that has been immense and your book, Pretty Boys, um, (laughs) which has been a joy to read. It's also just like the most beautiful book. Um, So we'll be right back after this break with more with David Yee. Hi, I'm Marvin. And I'm Rira. And we're the hosts of Books and Bowl Book, a book club and podcast dedicated to books by Asian and Asian American authors. Each month, we pick a book by an Asian author to read and discuss on the show. We read a variety of genres, including contemporary and historical fiction, sci-fi and fantasy, romance and cozy mysteries, and so much more. Our past book club picks have included Pachinko by Minjin Lee, Patron Saints of Nothing by Randy Ribeye, Grace of Kings by Ken Liu, and The Kiss Potion by Helen Huang. Every month, we also go through the latest news in Asian American literature, as well as chat with some awesome Asian authors about their works. So whether you want to start reading for fun again or diversify your TBR list, we got your Asian literature cravings covered. For more info, check out our website at booksandboba.com, and you can listen to us on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, and wherever you find your podcasts. Part of the Potluck Podcast Collective. What would you die for? What do you live for? When it's resistance, met with an uproar. I'm trying to love. And we're back. Hi, David. Hi. Hi. So thank you for going so openly into this conversation and just sharing your story your lessons like and the tea I mean I'm here for all of it (laughs) like these are things that I that you and I get to like know and I think it is really important for the wider audience to know how things work because once you know how things work then you have a place to like to flex and to leverage you know what Mm -hmm. I mean so Mm -hmm. I think like spilling tea it's not just gossip it's like no it's education I I want to know who makes these decisions and how did this end up being the thing that we as a mass society consume, you know? So thank you with your book and with like, whichever you want to start with, because what you've done with very good light and what you've done with pretty boys is incredible. And it touches on so many things that have like both given me joy and plagued me my entire life. So wherever you want to start, how, how did the book and very good light come to exist? Yes, so let's start point? with Very Good Light because that was the inspiration for, uh, you know, Pretty Boys. But yeah. I left my job, which we talked about, because I was like, you know what? I'm going to do my own thing. 
the last article that I wrote that really made me feel alive was that Asian American um, story. Uh, but it was also a story on 11 trans teens who were coming out for the first time. And it was styled by Nicola Formichetti, who's Lady Gaga stylist, my dear friend. And that story, it was in 2015. And back then, even though it wasn't so long ago, people didn't really understand or know about this community. And so for me, it was really eye-opening to not only learn about young trans people, but I was so inspired to know that we were able to, you know, push culture forward through an article. And I was like, wow, this is so amazing. I can put together my passions, what I'm naturally good at for the greater good, and something impactful can happen. People's minds and perceptions can change. And I was like, I want to do this all the time. I want to talk about diversity, equity, inclusion, you know, advocacy and all of my work. What could I do? And I was like, wait, beauty has always been so intrinsic to me. And beauty has always been political. Beauty has historically always been rebellious. Why don't we try to transform culture through a beauty lens? And, you know, back then, 2000, 2016, when I launched Very Good Light, it was all about redefining masculinity at a time when masculinity was just one note. And I was like, why is it that men have to be a certain way? There are societal expectations for men and women. Femininity is this way. Masculinity is this way. But who's to say that? And how do we get to this point? And so every one of our stories was, um, you know, about redefining masculinity, but through a beauty lens. And I had this idea that I wanted to uh, launch a beauty brand all along. I was like, I want to create an inclusive brand that represented me, that represented my people, that represented all folks. And so we created a gender inclusive beauty brand called Good Light that just launched in March. But throughout it all, I wanted to do my research. And throughout the past few years, I feel like my life's work has culminated into Pretty Boys. It is a history of men mask identifying folks and their relationship to beauty and masculinity. And I wanted to really uh, kind of my thesis of the book was to prove that gender roles are man-made, mm-hmm. that beauty and being pretty makes you pretty powerful from these very powerful people throughout history. I wanted to also prove through the book that beauty has always been used by all folks, by non-binary folks, by, you know, trans folks, by cis het men and women throughout culture, time, and place. And so we go back 50,000 years to Neanderthals, our, our cousins who uh, daub their faces with highlighter or used foundation as a means of expression. Or we go to warriors like the Babylonians um, in many, many thousands of years, years ago who would paint their nails to match their hair before right. they went on the battlefield. They would beautify for hours to these very powerful uh, rulers like the pharaohs and their eyeliners or how they would get ready for hours when they awoke uh, before oil. they even yeah before they even went to do their duties and um, I wanted to know when that changed too and so I wanted to do um, you know deep dive into history to pinpoint all of these very important moments and to understand why the gender binary exists it's just fascinating because Obviously, as as humans, we're very caught up in our current reality, our mm-hmm, now, mm-hmm. and you know it's enough work and 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 stress to try to keep up with the latest trend, and so that makes sense. But what I loved so much about this book and your subsequent interview with JVN, I like died because he's one of my favorite humans on the planet, and the fact that you guys got to talk same, about it was same. amazing. <laughs> but you're just so. Just honestly, I want to ask you up. Like you're so 
articulate and intelligent, David. It blows my mind. Like you gave us all such a great history lesson, right? Yeah. And and you give really important facts to contextualize this conversation that we're all caught up in now. Like who's beautiful says who based on what, what yep. highlighter do you have to use in order to be, you know, <laughs> that this this hyper-capitalistic and, and very like very much influenced by white supremacy and the patriarchy, right? That's where we're, I think yep. we're at and trying to break out of. But like, let's zoom out, like, like you said, like 50,000 years and more, like, Let's look at how this has evolved on a historic level and how manufactured it was, right? Like who decided it was and then what elements came into play to like change all of that. Like what you what you're explaining about, you know, religion playing an, a role, how politics came into play, yes, you know, yep. with like the American presidents and like how suddenly, yeah, you had to be like the manliest man, quote unquote, which is I think <laughs> we're still kind of subscribing to it yep. in a lot of ways to the present day how that was not the case before. And there was the macaroni like you talk about. And there's so many people that did not subscribe to the things we subscribe to now. And why is that? And what changed? So I just, I really encourage people to read your book and to enjoy it because I think it's really just fascinating about human beings in general, how we love to beautify ourselves and to question a lot of things too. Like, okay, like that changed. That's a, that's a hard left we took, you know, like what, what can happen now? Right. And I think that at the core of who we are as humans across the board, I think we just want to be seen. We want to be celebrated. We want to be noticed. Even if you say you don't, even if you say, (laughs) okay, I am, you know, afraid of humans or I hate humans. I'm a (laughs) misanthrope. Like you still want to be noticed in some way because at the core of what humanity is, is we want to be loved. And I think that's what we are. We just all want to be loved. And I would say for a lot of naysayers who are like, why do we need to talk about beauty? Every single person in America or through the world, everyone, no one actually, no one is immune to not subscribing to beauty. You are not immune in any way. I mean, men, you use bar of soap or why do you use colognes or why do you use hair gel or why are you so obsessed with your beard? It's all beauty, right? Mm -hmm, It mm -hmm. all is beauty. Everyone subscribes to beauty in this world in one form or another. And I think that we need to understand why we need to understand why, you know, the, the beauty aisles at Target or CVS are still so gendered, why, you know, certain actions are considered feminine and others are masculine. And at the core of all of that, you know, we need to uncover the misogyny of all, you know, And, and I think that these questions are just so important to ask all the time. Like, why, 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 why is it that I'm thinking this? Why is it that that's that? And I think it's very healthy for us to do so. And we need to do it more often. I agree. I think that questioning by answering those questions, as we ask why, and we begin to answer it, it can be a very liberating process. It can also be really scary because for me, at least for me, I was very, when I started really asking these questions, why these certain behaviors in my life, the way that I dated, the way that I um, expected myself and my partner to show up in the relationship. These are all very, like, there was a lot of gendered stuff. It was a lot of cultural aspects, you know, being Korean American and whatever, uh, not just what, but like those, all those many identities that live inside of me. I was, you know, through those, 
good and bad experiences questioning why. Why is it that I'm this way? And I don't think that's a bad question, but there were times that like I personally realized like I think I've been really toxic masculine. <laughs> you know, I think yeah. I've had, I have subscribed and I've internalized a lot of toxic masculinity. Mm. And that was very tough for me to admit to myself, not even to the outside world, David. It's like, to me, I was like, because mm. I would consider myself in my mind and heart, I am a feminist. I am for the women. But then when I would really think about the ways that I would joke, the way that I would make fun of guys, even like, and I have two brothers, right? Like the way that things would get communicated, it started like bothering me. I was like, I'm basically equating femininity with being frivolous and being weak. That's not what I, what's that about? You know what mm. I mean? And like a lot of stuff, especially in my thirties, like you're saying, like working on my undeniability, I had to answer a lot of really tough questions, but I'm really glad that I did because then it identified like, no, nah, that's not how this is going to go forward. I don't think that being feminine, I think being feminine is is wonderfully powerful in a yep. different way. It's not yep. dominating and it's, but it's no, it's undeniably powerful to be soft, to be nurturing. And every one of us has both in us. So yes, why we have we... that yin and that yang energy. Yeah. And some people are just afraid to admit because of what the internalized patriarchy, the internalized misogyny that we all have. And I think that we're all victims to the patriarchy. We're all mm -hmm. victims to white supremacy, at least in this country. And I think that you're right. We have to do a lot of unlearning and we have to question everything. I mean, at the end of the day, I think we also need to just understand that, you know, even the words femininity or masculinity, like what does that even really mean? Right. At the right. core of it, when you're saying that girl is so masculine, what are you trying to say? She has more agency that she's more self-aware or yeah. when you're saying that boy is so feminine, why is he so feminine? What does that mean? He is a lot more expressive. He's more emotive. And I think that, you know, ob obviously we're never going to abolish these words from our American English lexicon, but I yeah. would suggest and I would challenge people to be a little more exact and precise of what you're saying when you're saying you're feminine or you're masculine. Right. I agree. That's a great challenge. I Yes. Let us put that out into the universe through this yes. conversation. Yes. Um, I think that's a fun challenge, to be honest. There's not, it doesn't have to be a challenge in like, oh, this is going to hurt. This would be like, we can reimagine. Like, that's also the part of this. It's like, we don't have none of this, especially from your book, where I was like, none of this is permanent, you guys. Like, we can all, this goes the way we say it's going to go. And I also really feel excited about that because I think things like, the journalism that you've done, the books that you're writing, the the beauty brand that you're creating, our conversation hopefully is is reimagining the future because it's like saying, "Cool, this is like what got us here, and from here on out, this is the way we'd like it to be." And it is really empowering and inspiring and making it a fun thing because I also think beauty is it is very layered, it's deep, and it's also really fun. It's also yeah. very joyful and light and just. I just want to say like the story that you share about your dad, that, that imagery is really, really powerful. When you, when you shared that, I could like see it in my head. And I mm. think of my own dad, like the way he'd shave and like take time to comb his hair. And he put gel in it too. You know, he's an LA looks gel kind of <laughs> yeah. man. And he put on his aftershave, he put on, you know, his cologne and like he had his preparation too. And I never really looked at that as like my dad's beautifying himself, but like, it is so powerful what you said. Like, yeah, they have a moment to care for yourself, to care mm -hmm. for 
how you're going to walk out and feel when you walk into the world. And I think, you know, that just also reminds me of my grandmother because she was actually the first person. I remember I was four years old sitting on her living room floor. She was sitting with like all her makeup around her. Wow. And she had, do you remember those? It's like the spun um, powder and it's, it's a very iconic item. I feel like it's, it's very representative. It's like this cylindrical case and it has like flowers on it. It's like golden I think orange or yellow. You have to find it and please send it to me. I want to know I what will. you're talking about. It's go- It's like such a vintage. It's, it was like in the early 80s when I, or like late 80s when I saw this. My grandma would sit there and she'd have it all there and she'd hold her mirror, her handheld mirror, and just like beautify herself. And I would sit there and watch her like every day whenever wow. I could. And my grandma is a divorced Korean woman. She came to America. She was an entrepreneur. She set up like three businesses um, before I was born. And oh my like, gosh, you have to make a screenplay about your grandma. I would love to actually. And I've been actually interviewing her to get her story. And I remember that my grandma, she and I have similar vibes, but she was always like, this woman did a photo family photo shoot. We're all like, pretty regularly clothed. She's wearing like a mink coat or something. Like that's my grandmother. I was like, like my grandma too. Girl. But she really <laughs> cared for herself and she really cared about skincare. And now like, like as we're sharing this, I'm really appreciating, like she really preserved her energy and she, for someone who went through so much and almost died, you know, escaping North Korea and all this stuff, that is such a beautiful act of self-love. And she is, a, she can be really stressed out and nervous, but that like what you shared about your parents and like it just makes me think of her and yeah. really kind of honor that as like a really beautiful thing to do. Yes, yes. And those memories, I think that mm-hmm. they're just so linked to our identity. Even if we don't remember them, I think that when you do stop and think, oh, what did that feel? Or did I ever notice that my dad was, you know, beautifying or my mom was or my grandma and go back to that moment and see how yeah. that moment really touched you and affected you. I would really think that, you know, that really would uncover a lot about your identity or who you are. Absolutely. Just going back to childhood and and those memories of, or your first memories of beauty or looking in the mirror. What did you think? What did you see? How did other people perceive you? What did they say about you? How did that make you feel? And I think those questions, just asking questions from your childhood will really uncover a lot in your adulthood. 100%. Speaking of which, are you, do you remember yours? Do you remember like when you first like did your hair, did your makeup? Like, is there a poignant moment that that sticks out from when you were younger? Well, I always wanted to be a K-pop star. So Uh, you are one. (laughs) When I was younger, I was like, what is Shinha doing this month? What is Brian (laughs) for Fly to the Sky doing? Oh, they're growing out bangs. They have orange hair. That's what I'm going to do. So that's what I did. And with my church friends, you know, that's how we imagined our futures in our worlds and and me fantasizing about getting outside of Colorado and one day going to Seoul or living in LA with my Koreans and Asians that's what allowed me to survive another day because I was brutally bullied um I had no friends <sighs> but I was actually you know that was a choice I was like I don't need these people why would I want to befriend these people I'm, mm. I'm gonna become something big um and high school just gonna be whatever and so <laughs> I remember you know just uh looking in the mirror and saying you know what you're a little chubby maybe you have crooked teeth but one day you're going to understand just why your ancestors fought so hard for this moment. Uh. I was always proud, Minji, that my mom, 
she told me a story. She's like, did you know you're a Chenju Isi? And I was like, what does that mean? She's like, you're Isi, but you come from a lineage of royalty. And I was like, no, mom, you're just saying that. She was like, no, you're Chenju Isi. And I was like, what does that mean? And so, you know, in Korean history, we all can uncover, you know, our ancestors for thousands of years because they're books. Mm -hmm. And so ours come from, comes from Sejong Daewang, who created, you know, Han, Hangul, the Korean alphabet. But yeah. my uh, great-great-grandfather wasn't Sejong Daewang. It was actually his uh, older brother. There are three oh. brothers, but mine was the second who never became king. We're wow. still part of the royal family. And my mom telling me that in high school made me so proud of being Korean. I was like, I'm royalty? What? <laughs> yes. I'm a Jeonju Isi? And I was like, you know what? Every day in the morning, maybe I don't see the standard of beauty but i know that that power is within me i know that my royal family is looking over me i know that my ancestors are paving the way so what what are you going to try to do you know this white bully or white teacher or someone tra trying to take away my power you're nothing because i have ancestors who have paved the way and are still paving the way for me ah amazing Whole, and you are, you have, I'm sorry, but when we look at your headshots and we look at all your photos, like you have regal all over it. It's <laughs> no. regal. It's a smoke and mirror. No. It's not regal. David, I'm also an actor. I'm a, like, you gotta, you, there has to, it has to come from a truthful place for it to make the, to land the way that it does. And it's truthful. Like, I, I, I know what you mean. Cause like there are, there are those elements, but also it is, I think very innately in you and you cultivated that. And like, there's a lot of, again, it breaks my heart that, that people go out of their way to bully. And it, it's yeah. sad as an adult too, cause people still do that as grown ass adults, right? Yep. Like. It's like their agenda to to tear people down, but it's also because they're broken inside. And yes. you know, the, but the is. best thing you can do is like continue to to shine brightly. Like it, it doesn't serve anybody, but that that alone can be really hard. You know, yeah, so absolutely. But you know what, my shining light was is at the end of the day, I knew that even though I was physically alone in Colorado Springs. There are other Asian Americans like me. Mm -hmm. um, I know this is a throwback, but I subscribed to Coriam Journal when I was yes. in high school. And I remember there's a headline of the, I think, 100th anniversary of Korean immigration. And it said, the Korean American experience is the American experience. And I was like, yes, I feel so seen. I'm not alone. And I went into journalism because there were blueprints for me to follow. I looked at Suchin Pak and I was like, Suchin Pak made it. She's the most visible Asian American. I want to be like her. She has paved the way and I, I kind of know how to navigate now because she's done it. And so I am only able to, uh, I guess, be in this position or have become a journalist because I could see people like Suchin. You know, I could see people like Juju Chang. I could see people like Joe Z who are in the industry before I was. Mm -hmm. And I was like, they're successful and maybe I can too. And you are, you're doing it. And I think <laughs> hearing your story, I just also, I want to like shout out to your mom, like love her. Oh. And just the fact that like your parents were it sounds like they're pretty supportive of this this journey that you're on, especially when you're in a place where you feel so alone and you're going yeah. through what you went through. Yeah. And it's it is it's a you know again another point of contrast. But like, I grew up in a really Asian American space and part of the the country and the world. 
But then, like, when I was 13, I moved to a really white neighborhood. And so that was, like, a mm. culture shock for me. But the thing is, even before I moved, um, my a lot of my pain actually comes from my own family and from, yeah. like, Korean culture. Because totally, my grandma told me to get my eyes done when yeah. I was eight, maybe seven. Wow. And my dad joked, like, that I should get a nose job. And, like, before I was 10, you know what I mean? And, like, that's another thing. And I know it's a very touchy thing to talk about. But we were talking about beauty. But, like with Korean plastic surgery and the ways that we're being marketed to in America and we don't, I don't fit in there. I'm not Kelly Kapowski. I don't look like what's her name from that, you know, whatever. Like I don't look like these girls. Um, and also from my own people and from that culture, that cultural aspect that, cause it's very widely practiced and I don't know about you, but like, and I'm curious what you think about it, but like for me, and I, I was actually trying to think of the way to like share that story in like a, a larger format. Like, I don't want to cloud this entire conversation with that, but like, I really struggled with plastic surgery, ideation or whatever you want to call it. Like, that's been a really tender spot for me where, and, and it's funny that I've elected, you know, I feel like it's my calling to be an actor and to be on camera and to go through looking at myself and like having... Mm body dysmorphia. A lot of that has also been influenced by my Korean culture. So there's like aspects of it that I love. And there's also aspects that really, really hurt me and really distorted my, and massacred in my, like annihilated my sense of self-worth. So it's just, it's very fascinating to me because there's this whole wave of like Hallyu and I'm very amazed and proud of that. And there's also parts of it that like, I'm still healing um, because I was so 1000% 1000% like saving money and believing that I needed to get work done and yeah. still crosses my mind from time to time. And like, I know that a lot of people have different thoughts on that, on like, where's the line of like, what's natural, right? Like, again, the beauty conversation is so large because you can talk about products and you can talk about procedures and you can, and there's a lot of different things, how you do your hair, the fashion, your style, like all of that. Right. Um, and we, there's a lot of conversation that people have been having more about cultural appropriation. There's a lot there that we like do in this process of self-care, self-actualization and Mm -hmm. empowerment Mm -hmm. that I think, I mean, we're like scratching the surface and David, I love you. I hope we have a thousand more of these conversations, but yes, yes, we need like a part two to get into all of that. I have so many thoughts, um, you know, but just quickly, I'm so sorry that you've gone through that and I feel for you because as Korean Americans, we're not beautiful in this country. We're not the <laughs> standard of beauty. We're not the standard of beauty back in our homeland, mm-hmm. right? Where they have porcelain skin. They all seem to be like perfect, um, you know, and, and I don't fit either, right? I have golden skin. I don't have porcelain skin, you know. Um, mm-hmm. My facial structures aren't, you know, what Timothy Chalamet is, you know. So there's a lot going on. It's very layered and complex. I will say just quickly, you know, I'm not opposed to plastic surgery. I think it's the intention. If you want to enhance what you love about yourself, go do it. But if it's coming from a place where it's like you feel pressured or you don't want to look like yourself or you're trying to change who you are. And I think there's something deeper there, but I don't think enhancements are inherently bad. I don't think like Botox is, you know, bad or fillers. Um, I don't think double eyelid surgery is bad. Um, you know, I think that's the intention behind it. Like, why are you doing this? Are you right. doing this because you hate who you are or is is it because you want to become your better best self and this is going to make you feel better and get out of that body dysmorphia. Um, so it's all about intention. Absolutely. I think that what you said is, is very, very key. And it took me a long time to kind of land there. 
Um, and we definitely have to have a part two because I think there's a lot to to unpack. Yeah. And um, I'm just I'm having flashbacks of like I did the scotch tape thing when I was. I remember <laughs> a lot of girls did that in my church too. Yeah, and it's and here's my other thing too. I'll say with plastic surgery in anything, I think the energy, the intention, and the energy. Um, kind of like it really shares where you're coming from, yep. where like it's the shame element, yep. right? Like if I were to get it done and I'd be like, yo, I got this work done because I feel amazing and I look, don't I look good? You know what I mean? That's right. a different energy of like a lot of people who get it, like myself, I would have gotten it and never told anybody that I did. Mm. I would just like have like miraculously appeared as a different person and <laughs> I would not have, because that's the culture I was surrounded by and yeah. I was not ever encouraged to like own a lot of things. So I just think- there's a lot. Yeah, there's a lot there. And just my heart goes out to anybody that struggles with that because yeah. it it is, it can be pretty all consuming. It's very persistent and it's like For different sure. points, even as like, you know, I'm in my mid thirties. I'm like, I've outgrown it. And then I see a playback of me on camera. I was like, nope, no, it's still there. <laughs> like, I, I know. Like, and then filters don't help and uh-huh. social media doesn't help. And you're uh-huh. like, oh, if only I can look like this filter in real life. Exactly. I mean, we've all been there. We've all been there. But, and I, and I just thank you for letting me share that. And, and for, course, I felt, I feel held. Um, before we wrap, because I, I don't want to wrap this conversation, but I want to <laughs> make sure congratulations i wanted to say on your award your fourth award oh for our, for, our for moon good glow milky toning lotion yeah for good lights moon glow milky toning lotion it is our best seller it sells out all the time it is a toner it is a moisturizer has niacinamide ceramides snow mushroom hyaluronic acid it's just like an all-in-one plumping mechanism um <sighs> and and i think that everyone should try it at least once um I, that won the birdie uh best toner 2021 award Love. uh but you know we're on soko glam I love being on Charlotte Cho's site. I feel like it's such a big stamp of approval and we got the best of K beauty, you know, award there. And I'm just really proud of what we've been able to do in the past few months as, as a team at good light. And we have so much more coming out in 2022 and I cannot wait to share. I love it. We're definitely going to keep an eye out and question like, yeah, we're trying to pack so much, but I really want to ask this. When yeah. you mentioned, I think when you talked with um, Jonathan, dumbfounded, you were, you were talking about the packaging too. That's, I feel like such a cool part of what's happening Oh yeah, in our generations. Again, I'm saying this is the evolution of beauty. You know what I'm saying? We're taking matters into our hands in a different way because you can still be about beauty and also about the environment because that's like a thing. Yeah, and can you share yeah. about that real quick about the sustainability efforts? So I want to be as sustainable as possible. I mean, mm-hmm. we're not perfect. We're not 100% there yet because we're limited by technology and I'm not an inventor. You know, we're relying on our vendors, but we're mm-hmm. pushing them. And so all of our packaging today, at least, is recyclable. Even our pump, our serum pump, most pumps, if you look in it, I would say that most of them aren't recyclable because of that metal spring. But oh. ours is the first, world's first patented uh, springless pump. It's an air pump. And so you can completely recycle it. You can just throw it in the you know recycle bin and it'll be recycled. Uh, I want to be very conscious of the earth. I think about my two-year-old nephew, Everett, and I'm like, you know, I want to do everything in my power to leave the world a better place for him mm-hmm. and, you you know, the world just needs, you know, a pause when it comes to uh, waste. And I think that, you know, the beauty industry can do better and is doing better. Mm-hmm. And I think that we can all be more conscious of our impact and what we leave behind on this earth. I love it. 
I'm so for it. I just appreciate that you're, David, you're just, you know, you're, you're a trailblazer. You know that. And that word gets <laughs> thrown around, but like, you're doing it. Thank you. I, I'm oh. doing what I can. And it's really exciting. I, I, I'm truly inspired by your journey, your efforts, your intention, and then your actions that are backing up those intentions. It's really, mm-hmm. honestly, there, we just, we can continue to share these stories. And you've been doing that, you know, as a journalist, and now you're doing that as, as a founder and CEO and as a, a continually evolving creator. Like this is hopefully the beginning of a really brilliant chapter because Lord knows we all need it. We need that light. You're giving us good light. We need that good light. (laughs) We all do. And let's do our part in making this world a less dark place going into 2022. Yes. But you know, next time I'm in LA, let's get some cookie. Let's get some. I'm down. Let's get some kumkuk or whatever. I am so down. Let's go to K-Town and let's just celebrate us <laughs> love it yes I'm, it's a date whenever that happens three quick questions before you like i'm ending um my podcast episodes sure. with our fabulous guests with three questions Ooh. um number one what are you grateful for today today i'm grateful of i was this is so funny you ask i was actually <laughs> meditating while walking i'm grateful for my breath my my breathing my mm. ability to breathe in air love Especially now. Oh, that's so powerful. Love it. Uh, what are you looking forward to? I'm looking forward to, um, you know, I'm looking forward to watching my nephew grow. I'm looking forward to watching my baby good light grow. I'm mm-hmm. I'm looking forward to, you know, us coming out of this pandemic. I know <laughs> yes. that's three very different things, but um, I want humans to evolve into a better place after this. Love it. And last question is what do you want to, what are your last words that you want to leave with the listeners, everyone tuning in today? You are undeniable. You are beautiful. You are powerful. There were no mistakes in creating you. And you, when you realize that, you self actualize that, you will change the world. David Yee, everyone, thank you so much, David. I this thank was you. so wonderful, oh. and come back again. We got to do our part. I would two. love, I would love. Thank you so much. I'm so flattered that you reached out to me after all these years. I mean, it's just very humbling, and and I love our people. I just want us to win, and you know, yes. I want us to all just be pro slasian pro Korean American, <laughs> and I want us to elevate in all spaces. Absolutely, and pro fabulous people who want to create with us i love that energy amen amen yes okay well best of luck enjoy all your awards and we're gonna see you get more (laughs) but um love you and we'll talk to you soon hey first of all fam thanks to david's generosity we have a really great discount code to share with all of our listeners if you enter the code first of all at goodlight.world at checkout you can get 15 percent off any of the good light products enjoy yeah Thank you all for tuning in to this episode of First of All, episode 163, Evolving Beauty Standards with David Yee. David, thank you for being such a fabulous guest. Thank you for doing the work that you do and taking the time to share that with us here today. Y'all can check his work out on Instagram, his company at Very Good Light, and his personal page at Social Light, Soul being Soul like Soul Korea, S E O U L C I A L I T E. And follow along because it's going to be very inspiring and, and beautiful. If you enjoy this episode, feel free to share it with a friend. 
Make sure to subscribe, leave a five-star review. It does help me. It supports the channel. I really appreciate it. You can find, first of all, on all the Spotify, all the Spotify, all the podcast platforms, including Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Radio Public, all the good stuff. You can find me there and uh, really appreciate the support. If you want to back and support the channel, feel free to go to firstofallpod.com. You can find links to everything, including my Patreon. And shout out to my Patreon family. Thank you so much for supporting me, helping me keep this channel alive and kicking and inspired. I really appreciate you guys. Thank you so much. Thank you to my team, my audio engineer producer, Marvin Yue, my producer, Anna Sun, and my social media marketing powerhouse, Juliana Deer. I love you guys so much. Thank you for helping me with this show. And I'm a proud member of the Potluck Podcast Collective, which is a collective of Asian-American podcasters and storytellers. Go check out some of the other fabulous shows there. Our intro music was provided by Uzu Han, his song Uzu Trap, an absolute classic. And our outro this week is provided by none other than the fiery, fabulous Ruby Ibarra, her song A Thousand Cuts. She is so good. She will be on the show as well. I'm manifesting it here. But in the meantime, go listen to that song. Get inspired. Feel beautiful. Love on yourself. You deserve it. I love you, and I'll talk to you next week. Bye. Tell me you remember me. I'm here to build a legacy. I got the ground moving under me. A thousand cuts ain't never stopping me. And that's where I'm never giving up. Hey, Sharon. Hey, Remen. How are folks still racist? I know, right? We're like two decades into the 21st century. Yeah. And second question, where's my jetpack? Well, I can't help you there, but have I got a podcast for you. Modern Minorities is a show where each week, my longtime pal Remen and I uncover common and uncommon truths that we all need to hear for our majority brains and ears. Yeah. Sharon and I have spoken to doctors, lawyers, directors, climate activists, angry Asians, athletes, chefs, writers. Folks who are black, brown, gay, straight, and everything in between. Past guests have included comedian Margaret Cho, Southern Poverty Law Center journalist Geraldine Mariba, comics creator Jean Lun Yang, and many, many more. We've even talked about Ramadan, Black History Month, Kamala Khan, and Robin being queer. It's like we're trying to solve racism with the podcast. Challenge accepted. So check out Modern Minorities at modmypod.com or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Remember, we're all modern minorities, but we're no one's model minority. Thank you.